Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. morning. (laughs) A lot of people I don't know here very well, so I assume you don't know me either. But thanks for the introduction. I am Tom Snyder, and this morning I want to try to pull the veil back a little bit more. We just get glimmers, more and more glimmers of how the whole, this whole covenant thing works. How many people have been here through the whole covenant series, which has been like two months? Okay, not a lot of you. That's what's that? You listen to, you got to hear this stuff and you got to get it all. There were eight steps to this covenant. And these, this was the Hebrew covenant that, that two Hebrew men understood that would, would come into covenant with each other. And God went through every one of these steps with us. And the, and the, the baseline of the covenant is, is two will be one. The two will be one. And you got to get an idea, get a grasp of how immense that is that we have become one with God, one with God, like Patty is one with Roy. I mean, that's just, that's pretty amazing. It's just not a, a distant God out there that's sort of when he feels like it. Occasionally, when, when all the planets line up, he'll do something nice for us. When I was a kid, I have to be real careful here, I have a lot of notes, and the reason that I have notes is not because I don't know information, it's because if I don't keep myself on a trail, I'm just going to just go nuts, you know, with with everything that I see here. But when I was a kid, you know, uh, we I grew up in a Catholic church, and, and we believed that saints were something that um, they were a special kind of people. And it took a it took a lot of of jumping through hoops and bells and whistles and popes de- decreeing and all this kind of stuff to declare somebody a saint. And one of the things that declared this, made this person a saint was at some point in his life. A miracle happened, and and so growing up, I thought this is such a rare, strange, unusual event that I will probably never in my lifetime know anyone that a miracle has occurred in. But that's not true, you know. God is a God of miracles, and we are one with Him. And God wants to open up our lives so much bigger than we we could understand. So, I I want to I, I do want to encourage you if you haven't heard it all, go back and listen to the to the uh, the stuff on the on the, online, on the website. Listen to every one of them. They're all important. Um, and last week was kind of a wrap. Uh, they, we, there was the, the, the memorial meal. And, uh, and so that spoke of, you know, in the Old Testament, that was the Passover meal <clears throat> that Jesus was with his disciples and enjoying. And then that in the New Testament became what we've come to know as, as communion. And I want to kind of pick it up. Um, the, uh, those were, that talked about the benefits of our covenant, all of those things, and, and sort of the nuts and bolts of that. I want to kind of go on and talk about uh, the necessity of covenant, why that was necessary. There really was no other way to salvage this deal. If it wasn't for that covenant, we'd be toast. We'd be worse than toast. We'd be what's left after toast is gone. You know, it's... It, it's it's a huge huge deal. So in order to do that, I want to kind of pick up where the story left off at the at the Last Supper, and kind of spring off of that thing. Um, if you hear something that's different this morning, new, 
keep your ears open anyway. Uh, a lot of times people will only, they only want to be taught what they already know. And I know that generally isn't the case here or this place would be pretty much empty. <laughs> but there's, there's some, I, I think this is just, there were so many exciting things, you know, that, that God uh, little by little reveals to us about this whole plan. So um, after the supper, there was, of course, the revelation that uh, Jesus was going to be betrayed by one of his guys. There arose a discussion uh, saying, can't be me, surely it's not me. And then that discussion sort of degenerated into, because I'm the greatest of all of these. You know, I'm better than you. And I was with him in the room when he rose this, this girl from the dead, and I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And while they're going on, in my mind, as I'm trying to picture this scene, Jesus quietly, slowly gets up and walks over and gets a bowl of water and begins to wash their feet. And he says, this is what greatness is like in the kingdom of God. If you want to be first, be last. Everything about the kingdom is, is, is crazy backwards from the way we always thought things ought to be. And, and so Jesus demonstrated this. <clears throat> and then they go from there into the garden. And, and by the way, before they leave, we've talked about this before. Jesus said, he, he, he gives these predictions, these prophecies, and he says, he says, it's written that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That's talking about you guys. You guys are going to scatter. Peter took issue with it, of course. He was in a bad, very bad habit of saying, no, Lord, which those two words ought to never go together, but he was always putting those words together. So, so you know, Jesus had to finally just get him by the shoulders and look him right in the eye and say, Peter, you know, before the, the rooster crows, Three times, or uh, twice, is that right? You're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, okay? And that was just astonishing. Peter never never uh, uh, felt like that could ever happen. And so he, Jesus then goes on and says, this is one of those rabbit trails, but you guys are going to have to listen really fast in order for me to get all this in today. He, so he, he said that when I was with you, which is, you know, up until now, I sent you into this city. You didn't have to have a purse. You didn't have to have a sword. You didn't have to have anything. It was all taken care of for you, right? Yeah, yeah, we, no, no problems. But now I'm telling you that if you, that, that if you don't have a purse, you better get one. And if you don't have a sword, you better ta- you know, take what's in your purse and buy a sword because you're going to need it. Why did he say that? And then later on, well, the, the disciples, their uh, answer to that was, here are two swords. I don't know what two swords are doing in that room, in that, in that room at that time. He says, here's two swords. And Jesus said, it's enough. And we, we misunderstand that, I think, the same way the disciples misunderstand that. Okay? Does everybody understand? I mean, we've talked about this before in this church, what was actually going on. Jesus said, it's enough. They thought it meant that's enough for the job we're going to do. These are Jews. These are Hebrews who know their history is that God can defeat an enemy with, with clay pots and torches if he wants to. So two swords is enough. That's how they took it. That's not what he was saying. He's saying that's enough of that kind of talk. Quit talking like that. I'm saying if you walk out of this room and you leave me and you don't return, then all bets are off for you. You better go get a sword because you're going to need it. But when you're with me, you're walking in a different kind of a kingdom. So then in the, in the garden, you know, when Peter finally wakes up and wipes the sleepies out of his eyes and sees the, 
the guys coming with the torches and the clubs and everything, he remembers the sword. So he pulls the sword up and bravely strikes off the ear of the servant, <laughs> probably, who probably wasn't holding a club. And um, so Jesus picks up the ear, heals it, tells him to put that sword away, says those who live by the sword die by the sword. He's talking about now there's a new kingdom here, guys. Our battle is not flesh and blood, and our weapons are not earthly weapons, okay? We all understand that so far, okay? So we got that. Okay, now I told on that to say something else that may be something that, that's hard to understand. Jesus never intended them to fight for him like that. He told them to put this sword away, stop this nonsense, scolded his followers for trying to protect him. Okay, now let's move on from there. Um, the crowd, the mob, brings Jesus before the high priest, before Caiaphas. And in Matthew 26, beginning at verse 59, we'll pick up this story. I'm going to kind of rush through a bunch of these things. It says, the chief, the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. So they have already an agenda. Now they're just trying to justify the agenda they have, and they're having a hard time finding any, any way that they can legitimately put him to death. And so they didn't find any even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came and said, This man stated, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, to Jesus, Do you not answer? What is it that these men, these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, <clears throat> I adjure you. That's like saying, I command you. I demand of you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. What's that got to do with raising the temple and stuff? This is the agenda. This is what they wanted to try to prove blasphemy. They couldn't get anybody. Jesus never said he was the Son of God. Read carefully through there. He never said he was the Son of God. Okay? Somebody did. And Jesus said something kind of surprising here. He said, you have said it yourself. Who is he talking to? When did the high priest ever say, you, Jesus, are the Son of God? Did he ever say that? Would he ever say that? No. But Jesus wasn't talking to Caiaphas. He was doing what Jesus does sometimes. He's looking past the man and seeing the guy behind the man, which is Satan. And he said, Satan... You're the one that wants to know this, this, the answer to this question. He'd been trying all through Jesus' ministry to get Jesus to say, I, I am the Son of God. He wanted him to say it because G Satan had gotten this wrong through so much of earth's history where he, tried to, he kept trying to destroy the prophecy that was going to be his undoing. That's why he had Abel killed, who was the righteous one. And right after you know, the prophecy came that by the seed of woman, it was going to be, it was going to crush the serpent's head. He knew what was going on. He saw Cain and Abel. He saw Cain was, was able to be manipulated by himself. Abel was not. He must be the guy. So he had him killed. And he kept over and over and over again, trying to kill those righteous people that he thought were, that was the guy. So along comes Jesus. And he, and he wanted to hear it from Jesus's own mouth. Yes, I am the son of God. Good. Gotcha. He never heard it. He never heard it. But somebody said it. it and uh, you don't have to, there's, there's 
multiple times that, that, that this was said, but one of the times is Mark uh, chapter 5 and verse 7. This is the, the, uh, the guy with the demons that was called Legion. Uh, and, and in that, in that region of the, what do you call it, the, the Gerasenes, it says when he saw Jesus, he came running up to him. And what did he say? He fell down and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other? Son of the Most High God, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. The demons declared it. Satan himself declared it, trying to get Jesus to acknowledge one way or another, yes, yes, I am. And in this case, Jesus had a small dialogue with him, and he asked him his name and all this kind of thing. But in most cases, Jesus, when that came out, when the demon would say that, what would Jesus say to him? Shut up. Shut up. He just called him the son of the Most High God, and he's saying, shut up. Why? This, it wasn't time. And the revelation of who Jesus was wasn't to come through some foul demon. It was supposed to come through the Holy Spirit revealing this to man, which he did to Peter. When Peter said, I say you are the son, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. And no demon revealed that to you. But my father revealed that to you. That's the way it was supposed to be. That's why he kept him. But, but Satan kept saying it. Satan said it over and over again. You're the son of God. That's why Jesus said to Caiaphas, or talking past Caiaphas, said, you said it yourself. You know, Caiaphas was probably rocked back on his heels saying, what are you talking about? But he wasn't talking to Caiaphas. He was talking to the to the spirit power behind what, Ka- what Caiaphas was trying to do. Okay, <clears throat> and then he says something else surprising. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Was Caiaphas ever going to see that? No. Somebody was. And you notice the difference? You know what the question was? He said, you, get, you, you need to tell me that you're the son of God. And Jesus turned it around and said, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds. He said, son of man. He said, you're going to see a man sitting on the throne. Why did he say that? Because Satan, and I'll see if I can find that in these notes here somewhere, Satan had, had made these decrees, and we'll go back, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. <clears throat> he had made these five boastful statements after he fell. He said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. I'm going to do all this stuff. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, you ain't but I will watch me. And that's what he was telling Satan here. This was a thumb in Satan's eye when he said to the Caiaphas, from here on, we're not talking about the Son of God here. We're going to talk about where, where it really counts here. We're talking about man because that's what this is all about, what's going on here on this planet. And you're going to see the Son of Man raising above the clouds and taking that seat that you thought ought to be yours. That's why Satan hates us so much, by the way. He really does. How many believe there's really a devil? You know, the world wants us to think that's all just, you know, heebie-jeebie, you know, Friday the 13th stuff. He's real, and he really hates us, but that's okay because 
you, as you learn as we go along here, um, it doesn't matter. He can hate us all he wants to because we have, we have something that he doesn't have, and that's what covenant uh, uh, does for us. Okay, so, so okay. Already I haven't even begun to get into these, these notes here. So, so Caiaphas, Caiaphas was like, has anybody ever been driving uh, your car and a dog comes out and chases you? Okay. I don't, haven't had that happen much here, but up in Indiana, where I'm from, rural area, a lot of farm country, every farm seemed to have at least one or two dogs. And going down the road, it was just dog after dog, you know, coming out and protecting his territory and just chasing it, just, just burying his teeth and, and just running as hard as he can run. Have you ever stopped when a dog is chasing you to see what they would do if they finally caught you? <laughs> They, they, um, they don't know what to do with you. They kind of just, <laughs> you know, before, if you could talk, if you could speak dog language, which I can't, I can, I can speak out of trouble with the accent, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like, they're like, wait, wait, stop, stop, wait, stop. So you stop and they're like, all right, then. all right, you know. <laughs> That's what these dogs are, are like. That's what Caiaphas was like. He got him. He's got him now. But now he doesn't know what to do with him. So he takes him to Pilate. He gives him to Pilate. Because we don't have a law. We can't kill him by our laws. And in fact, they were so religious-minded religious that when they took him to, to Pilate, they couldn't even enter into the place. It was before the Passover. And they couldn't even enter into the place where Pilate was because they thought it would defile themselves. They're about to try to kill the Son of God, and they're afraid, they're afraid of walking in a building to defile themselves. So um, in John uh, verse, uh, cha- uh, chapter 18, uh, let's see. Okay, it started about, about 28. Jesus led, uh, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. They'd been on this, this Mickey Mouse trial all night long. Early in the morning, they brought him to Pilate, uh, and they didn't enter into it. Just like I said, they might, uh, they might be defiled. And, and Pilate said to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they said, hey, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. What kind of an answer is that? You know, What's the accusation? Hey, there must be one, or we wouldn't be here, right? What is it? They didn't really have an accusation that would satisfy Pilate because this was all stuff about him, you know, blaspheming. And, you know, Pilate wasn't interested in that. He didn't care about these religious, these Jewish religious rules. He said, take him yourself and judge him according to your law. And he says, we're not, we're not permitted to put anybody to death. Well, they actually they were, not by crucifixion. That's what they wanted. They, had, they, they were able to, to stone him. But every time they tried, he just walked away. <laughs> that wasn't working very well for him. So they wanted him crucified. Um, and this was, it says, uh, um, in verse 32, it says, this is to fill the, the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying what kind of death he was about to die, which was crucifixion. Right, now, here's a question I have for you. What, everybody knows Jesus had to die, right? To, to carry the sins of the world and all this, all this, the whole thing. Easter story thing. But why did he have to die like this? Was it necessary for him to die like this? 
Why could he said he was the son of God? He could have see he laid his life down himself any way he wanted to. Why couldn't he have been like Moses? Where God said to Moses at the end of Moses' life, he took him up on a hill and said, I, I want to show you the land that you would have gotten, but you're not going to be able to go into. And after you take a good look at it, I want you to go up on top of the mountain and die. Was he going to have a, a vial of poison up there? Or a bus waiting to run over him? Or some kind of disease he was going to inflict him with? No, he just walked up there, sat down, and his spirit walked out of his body. Do you think Jesus could have done that? Of course he could. So why do you have to go through all this incredible humiliation and suffering and scourging and whipping and crowns on the head and people slapping him, spitting on him, making fun of him, and all that kind of stuff? Why do you have to go through all of that nonsense just to die if the, if the death was the, was the goal? Everything he did was in fulfillment of prophecy. That's true. But why was it prophesied? Why was that the plan? Why was that necessary? Yeah. That's, yeah. He, that, uh, I think you're saying, yeah, he takes the, he takes the curse. What I, and within that curse uh, is, is what happened from the very beginning at the fall of man. And some of you remember, you know, I've taught about the... Um, in the beginning, it says, it says Jesus, when God created the heavens and the earth, he said, it's all good. And there were two words. There was Tob and, what's the other one? Um, Ra, Ra and Tob. Some people remember this better than I do. <laughs> and what the word that meant evil meant, it wasn't just doing bad stuff. It was experiencing everything negative and harmful and hurtful and bad that any of us ever experience in this life. From the time that we're a, a, a kid on the school bus bullied by somebody and we get humiliated to the, to the loss of a, of a friend, to the, to the sadness and loneliness and just everything that's negative and evil, that's what came into the world. And that's what Jesus had to experience, every bit of it. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood and fearful and just praying for God to let this thing get past him. Do you think it was because he was really afraid to die? Of course not. We've had lots. There have been hundreds and hundreds of martyrs that go to their death singing and praising God and enjoy in what's, in what's about to take place. Do you think Jesus, the Son of God, would be any less a man? that he would be so afraid that he, he, he wasn't crying for himself. He wasn't fearful for himself. He was feeling our fear. In, in uh, Isaiah, where it talks about, you know, by his stripes we're healed, we kind of get, most of the church don't get it, but some of the church do get the thing about being healed in terms of our physical bodies. But it goes beyond that. It says, it says for you, he took your mental anguish. All that suffering, the depression, the sadness, the fear, the loneliness, all that negative junk that's in everybody's life. He felt that, all of that. That's why he had to die that way. He had to die that way because that's what covenant does. He took our grief and gave us his joy. 
I mean, is that not amazing? The, the benefits of covenant, you, you've, got to, you've got to get this. You've got to understand this. Okay, so Pilate, Jesus is absorbing all of, the, um, all of this evil. 33, Pilate entered into the praetorium again, summoned Jesus and said to him, there's an, kind of an amazing conversation going to take place here. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Just straight out, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, are you saying this on your own initiative or did somebody put you up to this? And Pilate says, yeah, I'm not a Jew. He says, why do you keep bringing this? I'm not a Jew. I don't care about the Jews. I don't care about the Jewish laws. Pilate, by the way, was not a nice guy. He was a bad guy. He, was, he, was a, he, he answered to Caesar. And he was there, the governor, to keep, to keep rule and authority in, in, uh, in that region. And the first thing he did when he got to the area was he stole from the treasury of the temple in Jerusalem in order to, to carry on a building project for himself. He built some aqueducts and stuff. When, there, when there, an uproar arose over this, he wasn't going to have any argument or discussion about this. He ordered soldiers to come in and kill everyone who disagreed with him. That's the guy Pilate was, okay, just, just so you know. He's not a nice guy. And he's not worried about anybody else's authority. He thinks he's supreme in authority in this place. Okay, so then when he comes to, to Jesus and he asks him about this, he says, "He says I'm not a Jew. Uh, uh, your own nation and chief priests delivered you to me. So what have you done?" You get the feeling he's just a little irritated that he's even having to deal with this thing. And then Jesus says this, <laughs> this another. Everything he says almost is amazing. He says another amazing thing. He says. My kingdom is not of this world. Okay, we get that, right? But then he says, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that it would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from this realm. What? <laughs> okay, now first you're saying, put the sword away. Don't fight for me. And now you're saying, hey, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, my servants would be fighting for me. They were just trying to fight for you. And you said, quit doing that. So what's up with that? What was he talking about? You can, you can shout out if you want to, if you have a, you know, any thoughts. What did he mean by that? Jesus is always like, he's all over the board all the time, but he's not. He just, we just have a hard time following him. When he said that, he said, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would be fighting for me. When you take that and put it alongside what Peter was trying to do with the swords and fight for him so that he wouldn't be turned over to them, Peter was actually acting on exactly the point Jesus was making. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom has a different kind of, of, of weaponry. If my kingdom was just an earthly kingdom, they would be doing just what Peter was trying to do. But it's not. It's not. You are not. You, Pilate, will never understand my kingdom. Because it doesn't operate the way your kingdom operates, the way the Romans operate, or anybody that you've conquered operate. We're not like that. My kingdom isn't like that. So he made the point, you know, that sounds like a contradiction, but his points always, or a lot of times, sounds like contradictions, but they're not. So he, so uh, Pilate said to him, totally misunderstanding, said, "So you are a king then?" That's all he, what, what he wanted to hear. And Jesus said, you say correctly that I am a king. And for this reason I've been born. 
uh, to testify the truth. Everyone who hears of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? Uh, you know, your opinion, my opinion, whatever. Potato, patata. So he, uh, he said this, and when he said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I don't find any guilt in this man. I, I don't know what you're ragging about. This guy, his, there's no guilt in him. Okay. In the meantime, he gets a text from his wife, who's had a dream. Okay. And, and you'd have to look in Matthew for this. Matthew 27 um, said he was sitting on the judgment seat, which is when he came back out and, and speaking to the crowd. He says his wife sent him a message saying, we have, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask uh, Barabbas to put Jesus to death. This was going to be Pilate's out. He, he, he wanted to have nothing to do. And he wanted to wash his hands of this thing, but do it in a way that he didn't lessen his authority in the eyes of anybody. He's just going to turn him back over and say, look, it's, it's you guys' choice. You have a custom. We can release a bad guy. And he thought, surely they're going to release what they're going to want to release Jesus over Barabbas. Right. But they didn't, you know, so. This, this was just, so Pilate then goes on, if you, if you read on, it talks about all the things that, um, that, that they did to him, the thorns and slapping him and spitting in his face and making fun of him and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> uh, and then he brings Jesus back out and says, hey, I find no guilt. I'm, just, I'm, good. I'm bringing him out to you just, just so you know, just so you see, I find no guilt. Well, he brought him out, you know, holding the thorns and bloodied from top to bottom and all this stuff, making it look like I questioned him severely. I don't find anything wrong with him. So it's out of my hands. It's, it's in your hands. And he kept trying to get Jesus off, okay? That's, that's what Pilate wanted, okay? We see over and over and over again. What was Pilate, Pilate's desire? What did he want to do with Jesus? He wanted to let him go, okay? That's Pilate, the great supreme authority. My decision is there's no guilt. I want to let him go. Okay, so then he comes back and he talks to Jesus. Uh, talking to the Jews in verse 7, if you're still in it. I don't know if you're still doing this. Um, that's um, John 19, verse 7 says, Jews answered when, uh, he, when he said, um, take him yourself and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. And the Jews said, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Well, now this is a new thing. Now he's not just the king. Now, he's, now they're saying he's the son of God. And his wife is saying she had this, she had this dream about this guy, and this is going to be bad. And like all politicians, Pilate is thinking politically and thinking, you know, this is just, I can have this guy killed, but I just this is a weird deal here. I don't know what's going on. So he just wants out of this thing. So he goes back to Jesus. And it says he was even more afraid. He, fear is building up at him. And, and, and he says, he says, hey, by the way, Jesus, where are you from? <laughs> where are you from? You know, your kingdom that's not of this world. And they're, they're saying you're, you said you're the son of God and all this. I don't understand all this stuff, but where are you from? And, and Jesus uh, didn't answer him. He just stayed quiet. And though, so Pilate, you know, gets a little insulted by this. And he said, you don't speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus said, you have no authority unless it's been given to you from above. The thing you have to understand about authority, man has been given authority on the earth, but God hasn't lost any sovereignty in, in the deal. 
And that's what we've got to understand. There's, you, you, you have to know where we stand and how the authority flows in the line of what God wants on the earth. So it says, it said, um, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. He kept trying to release him. But was he released? No. So who's, who was the big authority in the land, but whose will got done? It wasn't Pilate's. It was God's will got done. In spite of Pilate's big, haughty authority, God wasn't worried. God's not worried about men having authority, okay? We do have authority. God's not worried about that. God knows how to, how to work. And I'll, I'll give you another example about this, and I'll kind of be quiet about Pilate here. Oh, my goodness. Is it really? Kidding me. Um, I think Roy brought it up last week too. The Pilate, uh, Pilate then wrote an inscription when they crucified him, put this inscription on, okay? And remember what the inscription said? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now, Pilate was just saying, this is, I'm just going to consider him the King of the Jews. And that's what it is. And you guys can hash out the rest of it, but that's what I'm writing on there in the... And the chief priests and the elders, they all come to him and they said, you can't write that. You have to write, he said he was the king of the Jews. And he says, hey, I've written what I've written. It's done. Deal with it. Okay. The amazing thing about that inscription is that it was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Latin. Okay. Some, some versions say Greek, but Aramaic was a version of the Greek. Okay. <clears throat> written in those three lines. If you look at the original language of the Jews, which is Hebrew, there were four words. And, and written from left to right, the way Hebrew is always written, you take the first letter of those four words that make up Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, and the first letters spell out Y-H-W-H. So the Jews are saying, you just have a man up there. Pilate's saying, no, i got a king up there. And God is saying, you have God. Whose will is being carried out here? In spite of, of man's best efforts and all the authority, and I can command this and that, we're just, we're just obsessed with authority. But God's the guy in control of everything. And God's going to see this thing through. I'm, I get emotional about this, if I don't know why. I mean, I've, it's not like it's anything new to me, but every time I talk about it, it's like God's having his way. God is having his way. Okay, so, so he wrote what, I don't know, boy, I tell you, it's already 12 o'clock and I got so much, so much stuff. I want to talk a little bit about authority. Okay, because God did give man sovereignly authority on the earth, which is in itself an amazing thing. When in the beginning it said that, uh, that God created the heavens and the earth, that was the easiest job God ever had, created the heavens and the earth. You know why? Because he's just walking around saying, hmm, light would be a good idea. Light be, boom, light is. Okay, everything he thought, everything he wanted, he spoke it was. He spoke it was. It was all just... Boom! And in fact, I mean, that was even, that complicates it because he just spoke it all. And it was. That's the power and the authority of God. In when in the Bible it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that statement alone is pretty remarkable. It's like saying, 
It's like the guy, I, I looked up on um, Wikipedia, some information on the Empire State Building, which before the World Trade Center was the tallest building <coughs> in the country. It was designed by a guy named William F. Lamb, completed in 1931. An amazing, I mean, it just, it just broke all the rules, you know, building this thing, if, if you read about this. Let's just suppose William F. Lamb also designed a little wicker basket. <laughs> and he kept it in the basement, the lowest part of the, of, the, of the building, behind the boiler and just high enough that, that any uh, water that would come in would be protected. And just in this nice little place in the shelf t- tucked away back there. And then he later wrote a book about all of his accomplishments. And he said, and he said in, the, in the first line, in 1931, I designed the Empire State Building and a wicker basket. And he spent the whole rest of the book talking about his wicker basket. <laughs> we think that's kind of weird, but that's what God did. The, uh, uh, David says, the heavens declare the glory of God. We've talked about it here before. The, the awesomeness of, of God's creation is just mind-boggling. And he says, God created the heavens and the earth. But the earth was the thing that was special that God locked himself into for all of eternity or for as long as the earth lasts. Okay. It's so remarkable because God did something so different with the earth than in any other part of creation. The rest of creation is just ticking along just like he designed it. You know, Everything's going to go just exactly like he wants it to go and it's just working because he made it that way. On the earth, he did something different. On the earth, he established laws and principles that would govern this earth, and then he bound himself to those laws and principles. That is so amazing. And, and uh, to give you an example of that, if you look at um, in Genesis 2, you know, after all the whole creation stuff, and then he created man, and all this is done, then he says he took the man, <coughs> formed the man, it says verse 8 in Genesis 2, the Lord planted a garden because he wanted a, pl- a nice place for the man. So he planted a garden uh, toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Anything weird about that? God planted. Now, God's job has all of a sudden gotten a lot harder. So now, and it says, he says he caused it to grow out of the ground. How do you cause something to grow out of the ground? You have to plant a seed. What was the principle? God said, from now, this is how this works, seed time and harvest. Be fruitful and multiply. Seed time and harvest. So, so when he wanted to make a place on this planet for Adam to enjoy, he had to actually physically come down, gather seeds, plant them in the ground, and cause them to grow, make them grow. Locked himself into the principles here, even though he was so far above all this. All he had to do was speak it and, it, and it would happen, okay? You see that? Remarkable. This has never been done in, in all of God's creation. But on this little, tiny, little planet, that's how God's going to make things work. That's how it works here, okay? Um, okay, then came this <clears throat> the search for a helper, okay? This illustrates another thing that God did. When he created man, he said, he said, uh, let's see, in verse uh, 
in yeah, verse 26 of Genesis 1, let's make man our image, let them rule over the fish of the sea, so on and so forth. And down in verse 20, he says, he says uh, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Those words, let them rule, rule means have dominion, as in have a reign, as in be the king. And the word subdue it means bring it under your subjection. This is Adam. You know, this is your, this is your baby. What you say goes here. That's never happened before, you know, because God gave this authority to man, all right? And then to illustrate that, when uh, uh, God brought all the animals to Adam to name, and whatever they named, that was the name. No veto power by God, no sense. No, um, duckville platypus, that's a little weird, you know. (laughs) Let's name it something else. No, everything, and, and, and naming the animals, there was a secondary purpose for this. All of these creatures were brought before Adam, and it says not a suitable helper was found for, him, for Adam. Okay, so Adam was part of this decision-making process to find a helper for himself, okay? The hippo was too big, and the aardvark was just too weird, all right? So that's not working. So, so he decided... Okay, we're going to make uh, a, a suitable helper for you. And he says he put him in, cast him into a deep sleep, okay? Um, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the, the flesh at that place. So what did God do? Surgery. God opened up Adam, caused him to go to sleep, performed surgery on him, closed up the wound again, Physically, this is God. This is because God probably hadn't heard the faith message. So he had to resort to surgery. You know, faith works, but this is a long time later. This is God speaking and decreeing. And so that's another whole story. Don't let me go there, okay? But at this point, God, this is another example of God saying, yeah, I could do this, easy, yeah. But he didn't. He, he with his own hands, made Adam go to sleep and did all this stuff. And then when the woman came out, he had found this suitable helper. And Adam was in agreement with this. Adam was part of the decision-making. Yeah, this is a good deal. I found bone in my bones and flesh in my flesh. And so God had had previously said, uh, um, when he created Adam Adam and Eve, he said, he said, male and female, he created him. Male and female, if he, you know, he says, he says, made after the image of God, I firmly believe that to be in the image of God, you have to have what's in a woman and what's in a man. And those together make that image of God, those characteristics. We always want to dumb it down and just say we're all the same. It's no difference. There is a difference. And when they were separated, there were now two who represented the image of God. And God said, okay, we're going to bring them back together again in covenant. They're going to be one again. The two will be one. The very first mention of the importance of covenant, two becoming one. This was a principle now, covenant principle, that was going to totally rule from that point on everything that God did on the earth. Okay? Everybody following? Is this? Okay. Um, Let's see. And by the way, this wasn't another uh, act of creation. It was because the, the life, the breath that God breathed in Adam, the life was in that bone, and God fashioned the bone. He didn't just, you know, 
create magic. He fashioned it. He formed this woman, and life was already in it. <clears throat> okay, but here's the here's what I'm trying to get to, and I'm just I talk so slow. I guess I talk fast, but I just have too much I want to say. Adam and Eve were not alone in the garden, right? Adam and Eve were not alone. Besides all the other animals, who else was there? Besides God, God was there also. But the serpent, Satan was there. And again, Ezekiel 28, this is, this is uh, I don't have time to really sort of, you have to just trust me on some of this stuff. This is a reference to Satan, to Lucifer. Ezekiel 28 said in verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God talking about Satan. It says, you were there, okay? In this world, that I, this planet that I created, in this whole universe, that everything is good, he was also good. Lucifer was also good. And it's the other precious stone which you're covering that it lists all these stones. Where do the stones, if you look at that list of stones, where do those stones come from? The ruby, the topaz, diamonds, beryl, the onyx, the asper, all of those things. Where where are those stones from? Where do you find those stones? On the moon? They're earth stones. And they were his covering. I believe that the, we'll talk about in a minute, the authority that Satan had. Satan was sort of had this, this sort of um, uh, almost a senatorial thing where he, he has a position on the earth, but he also maintains an office in heaven. Okay, And when he goes before God's throne in his office in heaven, he wears the earth stones because he represents the planet Earth and what God's doing there. So he says, I gave you all these stones for your, for your covering. And then he says, on the day you were created, they were prepared. Who, what was prepared? The stones. So on the day that Satan was cr- created, Earth was already here. I mean, sometimes I think people, and I used to myself, think Satan was a long time before the Earth. That he he and the angelic realm existed far before any of this happened. Satan, God created the heavens and the earth, and then, after man, he created Satan. Why did he create Satan and put him in the garden? Anybody know? It tells you. It says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. Anointed just means I put you there and I give you a job to do. And they gave you the authority to do that job. So that's your anointing. And I can tell you what the job is. He was a cherub. That means just means he's an angel. So that now just means he's an angel that God put there with a job. And he said, this is what the job is. You cover. What does covering mean? To protect. To guard. Lucifer, Satan, was created specifically to be Adam's guardian angel. And, and why, you know, we, we look at, at Lucifer, and Lucifer is the greatest, the highest created being, they say. I mean, you know, Hebrews said man is made a little lower than angels. And of the angels, he was an archangel higher than most angels. There may have only been a handful of angels that, that were equal to him. But God took that, that great, magnificent creature that of, of awesome intelligence and power and placed him in a place to protect the thing that God loved the most. That's what Satan's job was. And he was good, and he was good at it. And he was, and, and I'll tell you something, this is, this is one of those things where I'm going to say some things that I just think are true. doesn't matter if you believe them or not because it's not going to affect your salvation one little bit, but I think it explains some things. You know, some people say, well, what, what is there for 
to guard against because, you know, Satan's the bad guy. There's nobody to guard against. Well, you know, just like Jesus in the, in the temptation, Satan said he's, God's given angels charge to take care of you so that you're not going to dash your foot against the stone. This is a physical human being in a physical place full of dangerous, sharp things, okay? So the angel was going to guard him, keep him, protect him. And the other thing that I believe, that the other important role that, that Lucifer had in this arrangement was he was to keep Adam and Eve from taking that fruit. That's part of his guardian assignment, what he was put there to do, Okay? Everybody with me so far? Have I blasphemed yet or anything? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, it says, you were blameless in your ways. You did everything you were supposed to do flawlessly. You had an authority to do it. You exercised that authority, and you did it beautifully. Until, from the day you were created, until unrighteousness was found in you. Unrighteousness just means... He fell out of right standing. Something got out of whack with where he, where he was in this in this plan that God had for this planet. Something got out of whack. What was it? What happened to him? He was created good. Everything was created good. There was no possibility of evil. There was a tree there that said, you know, that good and evil existed, but nobody knew what evil was. Not even Lucifer knew what evil was. And God said, this knowledge of good and evil is reserved for the Godhead. We know what good good and evil is, but I don't want anybody else to ever experience the evil side of this this ledger. Okay, so um, when you look at um, the fall, and going back to Genesis 1, God God said to Adam, he says, from any tree you may uh, freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. No mention to Adam, that, as far as we know, of this being something that will make him like God. Just, just don't take this good and evil fruit. He didn't say anything about being like God, but Satan knew it because Satan in the temptation said, uh, when he's talking to you, he says, he says, you will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open." And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Was that correct? It was correct. Because later, in verse 22, it says, The Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. This was a, this was a knowledge reserved for the Godhead. Nobody was supposed to understand what this was. But listen to this. This is where it gets, this is, this is the Snyderism here. Satan was a good guy, okay? He was there when Adam was created. Uh, well, he may not have been there when, when Adam was created, but he was there when Adam was given this authority. And the kind of authority that Adam had was a decision-making authority. Um, you, Mark, you've had, you've had stores, right? Okay. So there are different kind of, when you have employees in one of your stores, there's different kinds of authority that they have, right? Okay. One guy, I mean, if his job is to wash the dishes, you know, he can't set the menu. Not that menus change that much, <laughs> you know, in, in, in certain restaurants. He doesn't have that authority. But there are some places where you say, yes, you can, you can, you can uh, change menus, you can do this, you can do this. There's, there's decision-making authority. That's the kind of authority say, uh, that Adam had. Satan didn't have that kind of authority. He had an authority that said, you, your authority is limited to what you do, and that's to guard this man at all costs. Okay, but, but Lucifer knew 
He was higher than, than this. He knew the intelligence, the power, and God entrusted him, I believe, with another little bit of information because Satan knew, he'd said to Eve, he said, you'll be like God if you eat this. And he was right. So when he was there and he saw this authority, total authority given to man, and he was okay with having the limited authority, that was fine. But then when it came time to say, okay, all these animals, all these creatures, everybody was, was brought before Adam to try to find a suitable partner for Adam. Satan was there. What about him? He's a pretty smart guy. He's got all kind of power. He's got all this stuff. Why wasn't I even considered? Now, Satan was not, at that time, there was no selfishness in him. But there was a question. And he couldn't directly question God. It, was, it wasn't in his nature to say, I don't think you got this right. But I think he was curious. And he couldn't go to God. This is just, again, this is how I think the whole thing played out. He couldn't go to God but he knew about this tree that was good for enlightenment, that would explain some things that he just couldn't get, couldn't figure out. I'm okay with being subservient. I'm okay with the limitations of my power and all this stuff. But I just don't get this. I mean, why did you have to go in and have this surgery and do this? I would have, been a, I would have gone into covenant with man. I would have been a good covenant partner. So he took the fruit. Is everybody okay with that? If you're not, that's okay. But does it make sense? Okay. All this, the hands are underneath you like this. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. So he. So so now, <clears throat> what happened? If my theory is correct, and we'll call it a theory, what happens to Satan now? All of a sudden. He's filled with the knowledge of good and evil. When you have a knowledge of good and evil, and again, this goes back to what de defining what evil is that had never existed before, now all of a sudden evil is on the earth. And when you're confronted with, it, with the knowledge of good and evil, you're confronted with a choice. And he made a choice. And the choice that he made was based on the new nature that this brought to him. And the nature that was now in him was something that, Later on, much later, in John, First uh, John two sixteen, describes what the earth is now, and he says, uh, I don't have the verse in front of me, but it's but it's these things are in the world. Remember what they were: lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. That's oh, he got up there. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's that was now his nature. That was now Satan's nature. So now it's not just a question. Now it's dissatisfaction. I deserve more. It's selfish ambition. I want to be more than, than what this said. And that's where this proclamation came. I will raise my throne above the heights. That's what I want to do. Because I'm powerful. I'm wise. I'm beautiful. And I'm in your face. And get used to it because there's a new sheriff in town and he wants what he wants in this arrangement, okay? That's the nature that changed in him all of a sudden, okay? So now this is the first lie. And we talked about these before. I will ascend all the I wills, the five I wills. He made this declaration. 
This was a lie. That's why Jesus said much, much later on, 4,000 years later, Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning. He invented lying, and lying is just decreeing something that is not God's will. It's not God's mind. And he said, I'm going to do this. Watch me. So now he has a problem. He says he's going to elevate his throne above the clouds. What throne? He doesn't have a throne. He's a watchman. He's a guardian. He doesn't have a throne. He doesn't have any authority at all other than that. But somebody does. Decreed on this planet, there would be a man who would be in charge of everything that took place on this planet. He has to get his authority from Adam. So he goes, not to Adam, but goes to his covenant partner, who he knows he will agree with, and he deceives her. And, so, and it's easy to deceive Eve. Let's, let's give her some credit. Nobody's ever lied to her before. Ever. There is no such thing as a lie. And this is the guy who's going to be there to protect her. She knows that's his role, is to be her protector. And he says, no, you won't die. And I think he does something else because of what it says. It says she saw something. I think he took some more of that fruit, ate it. I'm still here. And I'm telling you, you're going to be like God. It's a good thing. It's an awesome thing if you take this thing. And, you know, we've talked about it before. Eve actually kind of messed things up a little bit because she played into his, his hand when she misquoted God. When, when he, says, he says, she says, no, if you, God says, if you, if you touch this fruit, you'll die. And, God, and Satan says, no, he didn't say that, which he didn't say that. So Eve, in trying to, you, we, we can't, um, in spite of what it looks like I'm doing here, you're not supposed to improve on God's word. <laughs> So that's where Eve kind of got it wrong. But innocently, okay, doesn't matter how innocent it was. She was deceived. You know, Satan told her the truth, but in telling her the truth, deceived her. And that's what he's good at. He's, okay. So um, he, he made use of a principle that would later be sort of written out in, in Romans chapter 6 that was always in existence, another one of those principles on, the, on this earth. And that is uh, six, 16 says, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? So now, Adam and Eve are both slaves of Satan because they chose to put themselves under his authority. Say, we will believe what you said and not what God said. So this is a choice. They made it. Did they have ability to make choices? Yeah. God said, you can do this. I may not agree with you, but you can choose if you want to. So they, so they made a choice. And he says, he says, you can obey either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. And they chose death. Now, they didn't know what was coming. They didn't know what was about to hit them. But they made a choice to believe this guy. Okay? So that's how, this, that's how evil was, was now unleashed in, in, on the earth. And by the way, Satan, all those, those uh, lusts of things, that, that list of things that Satan became his nature, what did, what did he do with Eve? It says, uh, um, chapter 3 in Genesis, verse 6, he says, When the woman saw that the, food, the, the tree was good for food, that's lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh simply means, if it feels good, I want it. I'm going to have it. That's lust of the flesh. And was delight to, delight to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. If it looks good, I want it. And... Desirable to make one wise, to be like God. What's the boastful pride of life? I will be like God. 
I have no need of God because I am like God. He, t- he tempted her using the same things that got him. And now that became part of her nature. Okay. Um, all right. So, so, so Eve got a demonstration. She fell and all, and all this stuff. So now, now, now um, Satan has his avenue for authority on the earth. Okay. Why didn't Satan just kill man? And he's, he's got authority now. Why didn't he just kill the man and just take control of the whole deal? He couldn't. He couldn't because his authority, and we have to get this. We've got to understand this. We, we sometimes think Satan is the prince of the power of the air and all this kind of stuff. He has all this authority. He can do this and he can make me do that. He can make me do that. He can't. His authority flows through what authority we give him. He gets it from man. He always has. He always will. Nothing happens on this planet, good or bad, that doesn't go through the mind of man. Okay? He knew that. So he had to. He hated men, but he had to at all costs protect man, keep him from dying. When there got to be enough of them, he could kill who he wanted to through what men said. I mean, he could, you know, you have to to agree with Satan if if Satan says you have cancer. Okay? You've got to agree with that. Otherwise, there's no power in him saying it. It's just words, okay? It's always about agreement, okay? Why didn't God just kill Satan? Now he's unleashed all this stuff. Why didn't he just kill Satan? Could have, but he couldn't because Adam had a right on this planet to choose to obey Satan. God couldn't take that choice away from him, okay? So now we're stuck, now we're stuck with this thing, this deal, and evil is is just just rampant on the earth. And and Satan thought, you know, I've, I've got a kind of an upper hand here because it's a lot easier. It's easier for man to agree with Satan than to agree with God. Why? Because our nature changed. Our nature is like Satan's nature now. That that lust of the flesh, lust of the uh, all that stuff. The the, the boastful pride and the arrogance and all that stuff. That's, it just makes sense. What Satan wants us to do it just makes total sense to us. That's why he says there's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is, is the way of death. That's why we have to have a revelation and renew our minds to the things of God because naturally, normally, we don't think like that. It doesn't make any sense to us to think like God. Okay, and a, and a prime example is Cain, the first of the first generation. Here's a guy who killed his brother. Over what? There was a sacrifice he was supposed to make. Cain, uh, Abel did it right. Cain did it wrong. Why did Cain do it wrong? He wanted to do what was right. I believe Cain wanted to do what God told him to do, but it didn't make any sense to him. If I'm going to sacrifice something, Abel is a keeper of the flock. I'm a keeper of the, uh, in the field. Abel brings a lamb. Well, that's, that's, that's Abel's blood, sweat, and tears went into raising that lamb. So that's, some, that's a part of Abel that he's bringing as a sacrifice. If I bring in one of Abel's lambs, which first of all, there's no such thing at this time as, as ownership, but in Cain's mind there was, and he, he said, if I bring the lamb, that means nothing. I'm going to bring him something that I put myself into, put my work into, and I'm going to offer this to God. And God says, you missed the point. You missed it. You've got to be obedient. Trust me, obey me, I will provide and protect, but you've got to be obedient to exactly what I tell you to do. Well, I mean, this is God. Can you imagine this? God himself speaking to Cain. God's not mad at Cain. 
Cain's got it wrong. He understands the nature of man now. He understands he gets this wrong. So he says, he says, look, you're depressed. You're all upset. If you do what's right, you're going to be, it's all going to be okay. Sin is crouching at your door. You've got to master this thing. So he, so he, he explains to him in person, face to face, get this right. Does it change Cain? No, he's still thinking like a man. He's still thinking in that, in that world system, that world government. And he, so he takes his brother out in the field and he has a conversation. He thinks he's going to get an ally with Abel saying, look, you know what God told me? This is just nuts because God just, God just doesn't get it, okay? And Abel didn't agree with him. So he killed him, okay? He killed him because Abel wanted to do what God wanted. So now this sets up. And by the way, if, if you read the historian Josephus, uh, about he, he talks about in, in Jewish tradition where Cain went from there. He set up a whole system of commerce and marketing where he assigned value to things and value to time and value, all the stuff that we understand now is, is, is how you do business and trade. Cain did that. That was what was in his heart. That's what made, made sense. That's what makes this world go. Okay, that's, that was in this kingdom, and it does work. You know, the kingdom of this earth works, but we've got a better kingdom. We have to decide what kingdom we're in, okay? So um, so I'm going to just flow right through this because I don't want to get into this. He caused a, there was a great evil on the earth, and God caused a flood, and there's, you know, there's a whole big story behind this and why God decided he was going to, caused this flood uh you know satan knew that he could he could make man pretty much he could talk him into anything but there were certain men who didn't i mean abel was an example and and there were there were others so um uh satan (laughs) there was a there was something that that happened where satan wanted to produce a whole new kind of a man on the earth that would totally be his and that's what genesis and we're not going to get into that but I, i wish i could Talks about the Nephilim on the earth in those days. This was the this was the production of of angelic seed with the seed of man, and this mixture was going to be totally one hundred percent unapproachable by God, and totally in, in Satan's camp. So he wasn't even going to, he didn't want to take his chances on man. Maybe he would agree with me. Maybe he wouldn't. This new kind of man would, and he, he got to the point where this evil just filled the earth so much. God caused the flood. That. You know, you would think that took care of it, except that the angel who, who sinned continued after the flood. He says the Nephilim were on the earth before and after those days. After those days, they came back again. They landed in the, they settled in the land of Canaan. And God says, I'm not going to keep flooding and destroying my earth because of this guy. So I'm going to use something else. I'm going to use, I'm going to make a legal instrument that uses the, the principle that I set up of covenant. And, and, you know, the principle was, I will be your God, you will be my people. If I'm your God, I provide and protect. If you're my people, you obey and trust, okay? That's the bottom line of, of, of that's how covenant works. So he found this man, and, you know, the whole story of Abraham, and Abraham, he took him out, he says, I'm going to show you this land, this is all going to be yours. By the way, he didn't tell him was, this is Satan's land, somebody already already lives here and, and satanic activity is happening here. And the reason why I'm going to give you this land is because of what's going to happen 400 years from now. And he says, he said, not yet. The sin of the Amorite has not been complete. So he sends them away for 400 years. They go into captivity. 
And while they're in captivity, God is incubating a people for himself, teaching them how to be obedient as slaves. And and, uh, um, he's also, in the spirit realm, I believe he was rounding up and the angels are responsible for this mess. Jude tells us that they're kept in chains in prison and all this kind of thing. So it took them 400 earth years to do that. In the meantime, Israel is being preserved over here and and it's growing. So God's creating an army. So now he brings them back and he says, now I'm going to reestablish this covenant. As you go into this this land, watch what I do to your enemies, the the Egyptians. And he he goes through all the plagues and he destroys them and and the the sea closes over on the stuff. He says, those were your enemies. They became my enemies because of this covenant. Now, I've got some enemies in this land that are going to be your enemies. And, and when you go in, because of the covenant principle, I can't, I'm not bound. I mean, I am bound by the laws of this, uh, this world. I can't just march in and destroy these guys. But you can march in. If, if you are obedient to me and you march in, that kicks in my responsibility, and I will go before you and protect you. And that's how this whole thing worked. And God wiped out what Satan was trying to do, what he had almost done before the flood. He wiped it out using covenant, okay? Now, covenant was a little sloppy. Are you still with me? I know I'm, I'm, I'm really going over, aren't I? Let me try to, try to, oh my gosh. I do this every time. Roy told me two weeks ago, asked me to teach. He should probably just tell me like a half an hour before. Because when I start thinking about things, it just grows. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So um, um, for generations, there there was this back and forth, and man fell, and the evil kings and all this kind of stuff, and there was just slipped back and forth, and, and, and they violated their covenant. God had to send them into captivity and all this kind of stuff. But the ultimate plan was for, for Jesus to come, okay? Jesus came to become the new Adam. And the new Adam was, was, would, would have a different kind of a covenant relationship with the father than even Abraham and, and all of the children of Israel. And he would, as man, legitimately win back all of the authority that Adam had lost. Okay, so he walked on earth. And this is, here's, I'm going to give you an amazing verse. John 5, 27. Um, Jesus walked on earth executing God's will using man's authority. And, and Jesus had an especial kind of authority just because he was a man, okay, that he didn't have when he was God, when he existed as God. And it says, uh, verse 27 says, he gave him authority. God gave Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Special authority because he is, the, he is a man on the earth. Now he has an authority he didn't even have as God because God bound himself to those rules. Is that amazing? Is that not <laughs> remarkable? You know, that, that, that God did this. Okay, so Satan thinks, that no problem. I can handle this. I'll just tempt him the same way I tempted Eve. I know how man, he is a man, right? And I know how man thinks. So I'm going to use the same stuff. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 said he was tested in all things, but without sin. And we always think, well, when was he tested? Did he have lustful thoughts? I mean, was, you know, did he want to murder somebody? What, how was he test, tempted in all things? He, that just simply means he was tempted in the areas of the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. So in the temptation, real quickly, he said, um, he said, if you're the son of God, he comes 40, years into, or 40, 40, years, 40 days into a fast, very hungry, and he tempts him and says, you can eat this. You can have something to eat if you want. Sounded pretty good. That's the lust of the flesh. He says, no, it's okay. 
I'll pass. I'm good. Then he says, he takes him up and says, I'm going to show you all the domain. It's all been given to me. I'm going to show you all this stuff. It's so, so incredible. It's all yours if you'll worship me. This is what Adam and Eve did. And he, this would be ideal. If he, if he walked in partnership with Jesus, he'd have all kinds of authority, even better than he did with Adam. And he says, he says this, this, this is all yours. That's the lust of the eyes. This all looks pretty good. Look at all this. It can be yours, you know, and you can have anything you want. I don't care about this stuff. I just want the authority because it's my throne I'm going to elevate, okay? And then he said, takes him up on the, the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, throw yourself down from here because your word says, as I said earlier, your angels are going to give you, uh, they're going to protect you. You're not going to dash your foot against a stone. What was he doing there? He says, if you're the son of God, if you're God, and I know about the, angel, the guardian angel stuff because that's what I used to do with Adam, but if you're God, what I think what he's trying to get Jesus to say was, I am the son of God and I don't need any angels to protect me. Boastful pride of life. But he didn't. He said, don't put the, don't put the you know, Lord your God to a foolish test. He didn't fall for any of it. That's how he was tested in all things. But Satan now understood that he, you know, there, there was a new kind of a man on earth with authority whose, whose authority Satan couldn't tap into. And it was, a, it was an extended authority. Man had authority over everything on the earth. But Jesus, when he left, he said, all authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. So Satan flubbed up. Now, now man not only has authority over the things of the earth, but heavenly realm, which, of which Satan was a part. He could rule over Satan. He could take authority. That's why Jesus said when he walked, he says, you have authority over serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall ever harm you if we understood this because that authority has been elevated. And Satan knows that a lot better than we do. Okay, that's why he wants to lie to us and tell us, no, he can't be this, and you know. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip through some of this stuff. There's some uh, read read John 17. I'll give you a homework assignment. Read John 17, where it talks about um, you know how the authority, uh, the church gets this authority, where Jesus said, "You sent me into the world, and I'm sending them in the same way you sent me, with that authority." And he says, I am in you and you're in me. In the same way that, that you, speaking to the Father, are one with each other, they're one with us. Now, we have, you know, people talk about the Trinity because they're one with each other, that covenant, the power, the unity, all that stuff. We've been drawn into that relationship. This is mind-boggling. And Satan would have never conceived of this. But it says, it says we've been sitting uh, in, in Ephesians. He says, Paul understood. He says, I just pray that your mind is enlightened because my words aren't going to do it. You've got to get a revelation to this, that, that Jesus, we have the power and authority at our disposal, the same kind of authority that Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. And all authority, it says every name, far above all rule and authority and dominion and power, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come, he put all that in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things the church, which is his body. Where the body, where's the feet? Feet are under the body. If it's under the feet, it's under us, right? All that's been given us. What do you think about that, Pilot? When you say, do you know who you're talking to? I have authority to take your life or lay it down. And if I would have been Jesus, and if you, if you have no other, if you're in prayer sometime and you can't think of anything else, to pray about, thank God that I'm not Jesus. 
<laughs> because I would have really let him have it, saying, you think you understand something about authority? Do you know who you're talking to? Unbelievable, the authority that, that's, that's been given to us. Okay, who do you... That's my signal that she's supposed to... <laughs> okay, we worked this all out, and then she looked at me like I didn't, like she didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> I would try to finish up with this. It should be only another half an hour. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So now we have authority in the, in the spirit realm. So why? Here's the question. Bottom line, I've asked a lot of questions, and I've tried to answer them, but here's another question I've got for you. Why, if all that's true, does it say in Revelation 3.17, because you say I'm rich and you have become wealthy and have need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's not the earth. That's not the world he's talking about. That's the church. That's a picture of the church in our age. Why, if we have all this authority and all this covenant relationship and and everything that that Jesus came and laid at our feet, why do we think we are rich outside of that and we're just poor, blind, miserable, naked, wretched? Why? Because Satan's a good liar. That's all he's got is he's a liar and he tells us we don't have that stuff. And healing isn't for today. And we don't have authority. How dare you say you have authority because that robs God's sovereignty. We saw that it didn't rob God any authority, any sovereignty. For, for the centurion to say, I have authority to tell this soldier to go here, and there didn't take any authority away from Caesar. It extended his authority on the earth. And that's what God always wanted. That's, that's why he told, Jesus told the disciples, when he said, how should we pray? Pray like this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you get your will done on the earth? Right here. It's us. That's how he gets his will. That's what the, the plan from the very beginning. But, but we have these natures that we've got to just get past. This fallen nature says, I can't. I'm a failure. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. I can't do this. And that selfishness and, and all of that stuff that's in our nature says we've got to renew ourselves. We've been redeemed, set free. Old things are passed away. We're a new creature, a new creation, brought into a different kind of a kingdom. We're in a different kingdom. We've we, we got to start using the new kingdom rules instead of the old kingdom. And again, the old kingdom works. You can make a lot of money using old kingdom rules, but you can let God be your provider in the new kingdom, and it's a lot, lot, lot better. It's a lot better. Close with this last verse, Matthew eleven eleven. You think about the Old Testament. Think about guys I've mentioned, Moses, Abraham, David. Think about Daniel. Think about all the, the, the think of your favorite Old Testament character and how God used them. And if you had to name the greatest one, who, who would it be? Who do you think the greatest Old Te- Testament character would be? Who What? Paul? Old Testament. Paul's New Testament. Huh, Old Testament. So all these old, these old guys... Jesus said this about those guys in uh, Matthew eleven eleven. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, which is almost everybody, there is not arisen anyone 
Not anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was greater than all those guys you can name. And you don't think, I mean, it doesn't sound like John the Baptist did much at all. He preached a little bit in the wilderness and ate some honey and dressed weird. Okay? But he's greater than all those guys. And he says, and... Not only that, this is what should kick us right in the, in the, in the teeth here. He says, he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The one who is least. That means the biggest loser Christian we've ever known. The guy that just sort of just, just can't get it together and is, and, is, and is still involved in his old habits and just what just whatever the thing is, just can't quite believe, you know, just can't whatever, is greater than the greatest man who, who existed that God used, even Abraham in the Old Testament, at least in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because of that covenant. It's a better covenant based on better promises. That's just, I mean, it, that should just blow us away. The whole, all, of the, all of the authority, all the power and the rule and the realm of God at our disposal, and there's only one thing that holds it back. It all funnels through one place right here. That's the only thing that can stop it. Jesus, Jesus went to his hometown, was amazed at their ability not to believe what he told them. There's a story I was telling some friends of mine that I was reminded of when I was thinking about this stuff of a Dutch kid on his way home from school. And wherever this place is in the story, there was a dike, a big dam that held back the sea. And there was a crack, a small hole, a crack that, that formed in the dike. And he saw, he heard water and he went over and water was trickling through this thing. You know this story about the Dutch boy that put his finger in the dike? He didn't know what to do, but he did know this. Living where he lived and, and knowing what he knew, if he let that water continue to trickle, what happens when water trickles through a crack? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon the dike would break and the whole vast ocean would come and flood their whole town, their whole community. So what did he do? He stuck his finger in the dike. And he stayed there with his finger in that dike until somebody could come and help. You know, because if he didn't, the town was finished. So this one little Dutch boy with his finger in the dike held it all back. In a reverse way, that's what we do. We're like the little Dutch kid with our finger in the dike. With all the, on the other side of the vast power that God has available to us. And we have that finger. Our little finger is holding back the power of God because we just don't believe it. He said it. It's the truth. He said, Jesus said, I, I sanctify them in truth because they don't, you know, they've been taught some other stuff that isn't true. And they have an, they have an enemy that tells them lies all the time. And they, want to, they choose to believe these lies. I want to sanctify them in truth. We need to renew our minds. To, we, with this new covenant, we have... The authority of the God-man, Jesus' all authority has been given to us. We have the mind of Christ. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. What else do we need? Far more than, than Adam ever dreamed of having when he was given this on the earth. That's what covenant is all about, Charlie Brown. I mean, this it is, it is awesome. So the last two months, Roy going through all the, the principles of the, of the covenant exchange and what God did to, to salvage us. Thank God. God created us, loved us so much that he salvaged us when, we, when this was, a, was just a boiling cauldron of, of sin and, and evil and just such a mess. The only thing he could do was dive in and become part of it. And even then, even God becoming man can't rescue all of us. 
Because some of us won't let go of the anchor that's holding on to us. We won't be rescued. And that's just pretty sad. But I hope, I mean, I'm just going to just, just close in prayer. I hope maybe I've given you some food for thought. I know I've talked a long time here, but I only get one chance in, you know, every couple of years. So it all kind of, ugh, kind of comes out. <laughs> Think about those things. Look at Ephesians chapter two, 1 and 2. Read that. Read John, what John what, or the book of John chapter 17, what Jesus said in his prayer, what he said about us, what he gave to us. Those two things alone should just change our lives. You know, Satan thought he had it pretty much, but who's sitting on the throne now? Not Satan. When Jesus died, Jesus could have gone to heaven any way he wanted to. What did he do? He disappeared in the clouds. Another thumb in Satan's eyes, and you were going to raise your throne above what? He did it. He did it for us. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truth that you just have given us. You've not only given us the, the, your word, the truth in your word, but you've, you sent your Holy Spirit who is going to lead us into all this truth. The only reason we don't believe it, that it doesn't work in our lives, is because we just, we just used to living in a different kind of kingdom. Father, we, just, we, want, to be the, we want to be the subjects of your kingdom on the earth that brings your kingdom and your will so that things will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Not to fight physically or go gather swords or just whatever it is that, that makes kingdoms move here. Help us to know what it is to be your servant on this earth. And to fall in line and use that authority that you've given us to bring about your kingdom and your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.